I use a phrase with my work. Um, I call it seeing silence. And for me, when I'm in the landscape, I am so absorbed in what's around me that all of the noise in my head dissipates completely. I do not think about work or family or health or you know any of the stuff that churns away constantly in our subconscious. And it's the only time I ever feel completely free of the day-to-day. That's it for me. What I'm looking at, what I'm seeing is bringing me silence. That's one of many quotes I could have pulled from this week's guest, Wendy Bagnall. If you're into landscape photography or if you're on any kind of creative journey, there's so much in this episode for you. So stick around. We'll meet Wendy in a minute. Welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. My name's Graham Jargi. I'm a professional photographer based in the Granite City, Aberdeen, Scotland. And this is the show where we delve into the thoughts of some of the best photographers from around the world with the aim of inspiring all of us to take the next bold steps on our photography journeys. I hope you and your photography are doing well. For me, this last couple of weeks, I've been shooting more corporate stuff. Um, One fun job I had was shooting some in-house stock photography for a big accounting firm here in Aberdeen. Um, So, you know, pictures for their blog posts, uh, internal documents, proposals, LinkedIn updates, whatever else. And a lot of businesses will just grab these kind of business team shots from an online stock library like Shutterstock, iStock, that kind of thing. But occasionally, a business wants images that are truly their own. So I went in there and had a great day shooting different business teams and individuals, uh, pairs of people having meetings, working at desks, um, talking on phones, whatever else. And as boring as that sounds, it's a really, really good fun day actually, just setting up the shots, balancing the flash with the ambient light, talking people through the different scenarios that we have to play out and just drilling it down to those final few images that the client really needs. So super fun, challenging, but really good work for me. So really enjoying my photography at the moment. Long may that continue. Um, Apart from photography, I went to a roller disco with my daughter at the weekend. That was great fun. Um, There's not a permanent roller rink in my town. So it's like a pop-up thing they do once a month. So they pack in as many folk as they can and there's disco lights and terrible music but i get to skate with my little girl and that makes it all worthwhile that's me how about you what have you been up to this week i'd love to see your photography so connect with me on instagram at viewfinders podcast and don't forget to check out the nearly 50 previous episodes of the show with amazing guests like paul sanders valda bailey kai hornung julia reddell many more amazing photographers from all around the world Okay, one more thing before we dive in. If you're listening to this in real time, the week the episode comes out, we're just a few days away from my next Viewfinders Live event with amazing Paul Sanders. Paul is one of our best photographers here in the UK who's a recognized leader in the field of mindful photography. He's a Fujifilm ambassador and a mental health advocate. If you like Wendy Bagnell and if you enjoy this episode, I know you're going to love Paul and his work and his whole vibe. So why not join me, Paul, and an audience from around the world on Zoom on Thursday the 13th of October at 7.30pm UK time. It's going to be a great night in where you can hit the sofa, stick the headphones in 
forget about work and just be inspired by a photographer who's doing fantastic photography but also really important work around mental health. By coming along, you'll be supporting Paul's work and you'll also be helping me to keep making new episodes of the podcast. So it's a win for everybody. Tickets are available at viewfinderslive.com and for you as a podcast listener, you can use the code VF10VF10 to save 10% on your ticket. I hope you can make it. It's going to be a great night. All right, my guest this week is Wendy Bagnall, a landscape photographer based in the south of England, whose work was recently shown at the 2022 Royal Academy of Arts Summer Exhibition in London. Wendy's work is unrestricted and playful, and she uses different techniques to interpret the landscape, creating images that evoke an emotional connection with the viewer. Wendy got her first camera as a child, but she went deeper into photography during the pandemic, when forced isolation gave her the opportunity to build a relationship with the landscape in her local area and fast-tracked her development as a photographer. Wendy is one of my favourite landscape photographers right now, and this is definitely one of my favourite conversations I've had on the podcast. I found Wendy's whole attitude refreshing and inspirational, and I came away from our time together thinking differently about my approach to my own photography. I'm so looking forward to sharing this with you. Here's my conversation with Wendy Bagnell. Wendy Bagnell, welcome to Viewfinders Podcast. How are you? I'm very good, thank you, Graham. Thank you very much for having me. No, you're totally welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm so excited to have you. Um, I realized that we find you probably quite an exciting moment just now. Um, do you want to just bring me and the listeners up to speed on what's happening for you in your photography journey right now? Yeah, so um, so it's been a busy year, actually. Uh, and um, it, it's all come about really quite quickly and unexpectedly. But I'm currently exhibiting at the Royal Academy of Arts in the summer exhibition. Sorry, that was my door slamming with the wind. Um, okay. Yeah, so I, I entered the... Um, the Royal Academy exhibition. <clears throat> I was encouraged to by a good friend that I met on Instagram. She's an artist, and um, uh, you know, was sort of a bit uh, hesitant, like we all are as photographers. You know, we kind of wonder if our work's good enough, and and that sort of thing. And but um, anyway, I gave it a shot, and um, uh, was delighted to um, have been successful. So it's been a really busy summer. Um, it's been really exciting, and. Um, it's been a great sort of learning curve, the whole experience with selling prints through the exhibition and, you know, engaging with clients and fulfilling the orders and invoicing and lots of, um, lots of, uh, you know, the kind of admining and sort of backroom stuff that goes with selling prints. So, um, so yeah, that's been a, a big thing for me this summer. Um, mm -hmm. And I've had a few other bits and pieces going on. I've, I've um, been invited to, um, podcasts like like yourself and I got asked to write an article earlier this year for Elements Photography magazine um, which was an absolute honour and um, uh, a camera club approached me um, and I had a couple of um, approaches to um, have my work presented by online galleries um, so yeah it's been a great year really busy um, lots going on lots to consider and think about. Mm -hmm. 
with the Royal Academy of Arts thing, so how does that come about? Do you apply to be a part of that show or what's the process for that? Um, so it's the world, I believe it's the world's largest open submission exhibition. Um, and it's been running since 1769. Um, wow. So it's been going for a long time, um, completely uninterrupted, actually, even with COVID. Um, I think one year they ran it online and then um, they did it in the winter uh, in the other year because they weren't able to host it in the summer. Um, and basically they invite um, professional artists to exhibit works and then they have an open submission uh, for anybody who wants to enter, any artist. And they cover you know, many forms of art. There's architecture, sculpture, um, painting, photography, printmaking, even textiles. So it's a great opportunity for anybody who um, has their finger in one of the art pies, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and you submit your works. Um, there's an initial online viewing um, process that they go through to shortlist people. And then if you're shortlisted, you're invited to take your work up to the RA um, which is quite a nerve-wracking experience. Um, and then it goes through um, a, a sort of, you know, final judging round. Um, it's quite ruthless. There's actually a programme about it on BBC Two that's um, it's on iPlayer called Joe Lysett's Summer Exhibitionist. Um, and he sort of, um, you know, walks walks you through the process and, and the, um, the kind of judging process and things. It's got, because it's such a, uh, there's, there's such a history to it all. There's a lot of traditions that are involved in it. Um, and um, yeah, so that's that's kind of the process to get into it. And I'm not a big fan of photography competitions. I have entered one or two, but I don't like the idea of art being considered something that deserves a first, second or third place kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, making photography or a painting or a sculpture it's not a race um you know it's a creative expression whereas an open submission exhibition yes there are pieces that will and won't get in but it's not about saying well you haven't got in because you're not first second or third mm -hmm. it's more about what fits with the theme this year's theme was climate mm -hmm. so, so my work as soon as i saw the theme i knew exactly which piece i wanted to enter um so so yeah, that's been a, a great experience for me. And actually it, it, it makes me think more about looking towards open submission exhibitions as opposed to the sort of competition environment. Mm -hmm. Just, well, let's dive into that then. Yeah, usually we talk about your specific photographs later, but um, the piece that you entered is, uh, it's a beautiful photograph called Fragility. Do you... Would you like to uh, try to describe that and talk about the image and how it came about and what it means to you? Yeah, sure. So, um, so there's a there's a, a series of commons near where I live, and um, fragility was uh, made on one of the commons, and um, it's a common which has suffered with um, wildfires in the past, and there was a devastating wildfire in 2020. Um, I believe it affected about one third of the common. And the area sort of over the last two years has been regenerating. Um, but amongst 
everything that's regrowing. There's still a lot of charred, um, you know, shrubs and trees and foliage. And it really caught my eye, this contrast between the regeneration um, and, and then the aspects of the landscape that clearly weren't going to recover. But there was still a real delicate nature to um to to the parts that were dead um their form their structure their shape um and they had a real story to tell and i just found the place and i still do find the place when i visit i find it such a powerful um landscape to visit and to view because of um this kind of juxtaposition between life and death kind of grief and hope um and so the photograph that I made shows these very delicate, um, fragile structures. You know, there were sort of young, um, young shrubs growing amongst long grasses, and the grasses are flourishing, um, and and the, and these young shrubs didn't survive. Um, so they're very much in the foreground. And I always go for sunrise to this location, and you often get fog. It's a very boggy area. Um, and that, that sort of waterlogged ground helps create fog in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the, the background is, is, is shrouded in a, a light fog. It was quite late sunrise, actually, so the sun was quite high. And so everything was quite illuminated. And then you've got some really big Scots pines in that area as well. And they're sort of in the background. And, and, they, um, and they're all sort of, you know, the background fades away with the fog. So um, And then you, you, there's kind of like a mid-ground with reeds and... Um, if you look really, really closely at the image printed up large, you can see a goose hiding in the reeds. <laughs> um, so that's that's kind of yeah, the, it's kind of what attracts me to it and and what the what the picture's about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a beautiful image, very soft, and um, yeah, those contrasts are present, as you said. It's great. Um, so I I just wonder, like, with the exhibition. What kind of exposure does that give you? And, you know, it's obviously it's amazing to be a part of it. But do you think that will be a game changer for you in any way going forward? Or what do you do from here? Do you use it as a springboard? You, talk, you talked about maybe uh, applying to other exhibitions and so on. But how do you see that changing things going forward? Um, so it's uh, I've not been approached by anyone in terms of, you know, I've not had a somebody approached me and say, oh, you know, can you exhibit in, in our gallery or, or anything along those lines? Um, and I'm glad, actually, because I'm currently, um, I'm working with a mentor um, to really understand my photography, um, why I photograph. I have a pretty good understanding of why I do it, but, you know, sort of crystallising it and articulating it um, and then with a view to understanding how you host a solo exhibition because it's very easy to go into these things a bit blind and get it wrong. Um, So um, I think I was saying earlier that I have had a couple of approaches about, um, you know, being asked if I'd like my work to be exhibited in one in a a physical gallery and one was um, in an online gallery. Um, And then the initial sort of, I was overwhelmed with, excitement initially but sort of took stock and reflected on things and decided that actually neither of them were quite the right um platform for me um Mm -hmm. 
but what it has done is it's given me um it's given me a lot of experience um in terms of the whole process of going from having made your photograph to exhibiting it in a place where you know it's going to be seen by thousands of people i mean the footfall in the Royal Academy over the two months that the exhibition is open is huge. Mm -hmm. um, and so you, it forces you to reflect and think very carefully about how you present your work. Um, and then the process of actually executing that. So, you know, printing, framing, what kind of framing? Is it float mounted, deckled edges? So I feel like I've gained a huge amount um, in that respect. Um, and then, as I said, the other end of it, the, the invoicing and the, and the shipping and mm -hmm. um, personalising my stationery to to make it an you know a good user experience for the um for the client that's bought the piece mm -hmm. so the royal academy it's in central london i think is that right yeah it's piccadilly it's at the oh. um it's burlington house right yeah so it's a big big deal just yeah, yeah. apart from the history and everything that we mentioned but I, we, I was in london a couple of weeks ago and yeah this time of year it's mega i mean it <laughs> must just be millions of people going around so I wonder in terms of the setting up then, do you get to go in and, and set things up or do they just say, look, that's your slot over there, get on with it? How did that work? So um, they, uh, so the the RA, um, the Royal Academic Academicians, um, they set the whole exhibition up. So there's, my room was um, curated by Bill Woodrow um, and he basically selected the pieces for that room. So there are several rooms within the exhibition. Um, and they also then choose how to present the work and, and how it hangs on the walls. Um, so you don't have, as an artist, you don't have any say in where it hangs or what it hangs next to. That's all done by um, the artists at the RA. Um, so what I got to do though which was really special they have a thing called varnishing day and all of the artists are invited before the exhibition opens to go along to the academy um to take part in a special um church service which might sound a little unusual but um it's you know it's part of the history part of the tradition it's just across the road in piccadilly um so a short 30 minute service which is all about you know being thankful for art and artists and then we get to go into the RA and see the whole exhibition before it's open to the public. Um, and and that's when you, you, you know, you, you, you find your piece um, on the wall in there. Um, so that, yeah. that's how they do it. Yeah, that's I can imagine how special that is. It must really bond everybody, you know, and, and everyone's going in to see it in the, yeah. for the first time with that kind of community feel. Um, super excited for you. That is just so amazing. Um, thank you. Thank you. I was gonna, I was interested when you talked about having a mentor, it sounded like if you're okay to talk about that, uh, I don't need to know who that is or anything, but it sounded like your mentor is more about helping you understand your whys about your photography rather than, you know, how to take better photographs kind of thing. Would, th would that be right? Could you talk about that a little? Yeah, so I don't mind mentioning who it is. It's a chap called Luke Whitaker, and he owns the Bosom Gallery. Um, okay. The actual physical gallery down in Bosom has um, has closed. I, I think it, you know, like a lot of um, a lot of small galleries. It, I, I think there were changes that came about from COVID, um, but they, he's still very much working in that space, and um, he has a you know the gallery still exists online. Um, 
so yeah it's not like a photography workshop or um you know i'm i'm, I'm not learning photography skills as it were um it's it's more about the um the business side of it and then the um the, the artist's intent shall we say mm -hmm. and 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 sort of discussing and really thinking hard about what your photography means to you why you make it why why you're attracted to um certain techniques or certain um conditions or landscapes um so that's the main thrust of it mm -hmm. so and does that help you to gain clarity about what you would do next and where your path would go in the future if that makes sense it it does and and i'm sort of you know i'm i'm about halfway through this program so uh, uh, by the end of it i'll have a plan um that, that i can use to guide me um but i use the word plan loosely because i still um i still feel like i'm very much in the infancy of my photography career and with that i don't want to set myself rigid boundaries um i want to make sure i can remain a bit fluid and flexible because i think certainly for me my photography comes from the place i'm in now and you know that place will change in the future um and when i say the place i don't mean the geographical place the, the sort of emotional um place so um so i think uh the plan will be a great guide um, but it won't be something that I will see as that, that is set in stone. Okay, usually we start with going back. So I was wondering um, if you were a creative kid or was photography always part of your life? Um, yeah, to some extent it was. Um, and I'm not going to pretend that I've been doing photography to this level all of my life, but it is definitely something that has been at my core since a young child. So I bought my first 35 millimeter camera when I was about 10 years old. We'd had a, um, a little bet within the family and I, and I won 11 pounds. So I went straight out to Boots and bought my first camera. Um, and I think, you know, when I think back on that, at that age, I really could have spent that money on anything else, you know, at the age, around age 10, 11 year perhaps interested in things like a Walkman or something. I'm showing my age now, aren't I? <laughs> um, so, um, so it started there and that camera served me well for a very long time. Um, and then um, when I was in my um, early thirties, I sort of picked photography up a bit more, you know, we had the advent of digital cameras um, and then I got my first DS, DSLR around then. Um, so I started to play with that. Um, but uh, life gets in the way, you know, children, careers, um, family. So it, 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 I want to say it took a backseat, but in a way it didn't because with the advent of cameras on mobile phones, I never stopped taking photographs. And I wasn't just taking photographs of you know, the family on a walk. If we were on a walk, actually, the family rarely got a look in. I was often composing compositions of the landscape around me, mm -hmm. albeit only on my mobile phone, and then sharing them usually on Facebook. Um, but um, so that was always there. And then I was very fortunate. Um, 
you know, I, I like to think every cloud has a silver lining. And when COVID struck, um, I was um, one of those folk that had to stay away from everyone. Um, I have a, a, a broken immune system, shall we say. So, um, so I was home based. I couldn't do my job from home. Um, and that first three months, I just picked up my camera and it was it saved my sanity. It really did mm. um, because I'm not the kind of person that can easily feel confined to, you know, one space. Um, so, uh, you know, I was allowed out and, and keep my distance and things, but I, I used to go out into the local landscape and walking and I started to research photographers um, a bit more. Um, and, and then I invested a huge amount of time in it. I mean, I think, the amount of time I, I put into it in that year, in 2020, was probably equivalent to what I could have put into it over five years or even, you know, longer um, in, a, in a context where I would have been working, you know, a full time job. Um, so I, I learned a lot very rapidly. And um, yeah, it's, and, I, and I haven't looked back and I don't believe I ever will look back because it just brings me so much. Um, it, you know, it really does give me a lot. Um, so, yeah. Mm. So your photography before the pandemic and then when you, when we sort of, if we've come out of it at all, but you know, from now, um, what was it like before compared to what it's like now? Like how far have you come? Would you say? So, um, it was it was classic i would say more classic landscapes before and um and that whereas now i use more creative techniques you know i i do use quite a bit of multiple exposure um so i would say it's, it's changed in that respect but i think one of the things which has changed more so um is that i feel more of a connection to the landscape when i'm out with my camera now um and I think that when you have that connection with something that comes through much more in your photography, um, people often say to me, Oh, they always know when they see a photograph of mine on Instagram, for example, before they even know that it's mine, mm -hmm. uh, which I find interesting because I don't, I don't, um, have a signature style. You know, I'm not a black and white photographer or I'm not a seascape photographer or a woodland photographer. Um, so I do find it interesting that there does seem to be something in my photographic voice that is consistent across my work that people do pick up on. Um, mm -hmm. I think the other thing I should say as well that, that was probably quite influential on me was um, my dad got into photography when I was about 17, 18. Um, he used to mostly kind of do portraits, um, but he got himself a, I think it was a Pentax, um, 35 millimeter camera. And I remember he converted our downstairs cloakroom into a dark room. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, we used to go in there together and I used to watch him, you know, process his, um, photographs and most of them were black and white as well. Um, mm. so he didn't, he didn't sort of take it really far, but it was a hobby for him. And, mm. and I used to just really enjoy spending that time with him and learning but at the same time I was 18 and I was interested in you know everything that 18 year olds are interested in at that time so yeah, yeah. that I can see that being influential though dark room is a magic place 
yeah uh, do you, in, the influence of your dad is, is gonna make a mark isn't it yeah okay so what i was thinking of when you were talking there was maybe i'm reading too much into this so let me know but maybe when the lockdowns were on you were quite isolated you talked about having a, a relationship with the landscape mm-hmm. i think that, i don't know if that's the word you use or if that was just how I was re- uh, receiving it in my mind. So I was wondering, being being isolated, being like truly isolated from other people, and then now the landscape is like your friend kind of thing, you would have spent the most time out there. Do you think that was a bonding experience for you to the landscape in a way? Does that make sense? Yes. And I, um, so I, I use a phrase with my work. Um, I call it seeing silence. Um, and for me when i'm in the landscape with my camera uh, which is very different to being in the landscape without my camera i ought to add um but with my camera i am so absorbed in the landscape and what's around me that um all of the noise in my head dissipates completely i do not think about um work or family or health or you know any of the stuff that churns away constantly in our subconscious um and it's the only time i ever feel completely free um of the Mm day-to-day so when i when i refer to that connection and that relationship with the landscape that's it for me what i'm looking at what i'm seeing is bringing me silence Mm -hmm. I can tell you the title of this episode will be Wendy Bagnall Seeing Silence. Um, that's decided. So, um, yeah, I, one of the things I was going to ask you was, you're, I, I think you're very observant. I think that you are seeing things in the landscape that a lot of us might walk past. So what are you looking for to give you the go-ahead to to start working on a photograph? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so I never go out with any preconceived ideas. I am really drawn to fog. Um, I think a a lot of photographers are, um, but fog really brings a, I think it emphasizes the quietness in the landscape and it gives us that separation from things. Mm -hmm. So if I see fog or a fog forecast, then, you know, I'm up and out with my camera. Um, but when I'm there in the landscape, I don't, um, I don't go along thinking, oh, I know that tree or that section of woodland, that's what I'm going to photograph today. I just walk and look and something catches my eye. And I tend to take the view, if it's caught my eye, then it's caught my eye for a reason. And there is something about it that, that I then look at study a bit more um and it can be anything from frozen water droplets on you know some delicate branches um to um a family of scots pines um to storm waves to autumn woodland um you know it's if it's caught my eye then there's something in it that has connected with me and then i look at that closer and then I and then I start to see in my my imagination, if you like, um, 
how I want to use the camera as a tool to interpret that into a photograph so that it emphasizes what it is that's caught my eye. So some of my work, uh, you know, using multiple exposures or um, the way I will underexpose using the histogram or go more high key um, is so that I can really filter the parts of the scene that aren't interesting me um, and bring out the elements that have attracted me. Mm -hmm. That I love the permission that you give yourself on that, um, where you, you, you seem unbound. I, I love talking to landscape photographers who are, who say similar things. Um, and in fact, it says on, I think on your website somewhere, you, uh, your work's unrestrictive and playful. I really admire that. I, I find like my landscape photography is quite, um, um, formulaic, I guess you could say it. it's, I mean, I'm really into it. I'm looking, I'm, I'm doing my best for all that stuff, but I, I go, I think I'm quite formal about it cause I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a quite a professional and formal approach. I'm going to go and get something and mm -hmm. talked about this a little bit on the podcast before, but I love I, I, do, I think I would struggle with the, the unrestrictiveness, you know, um, and I, I really admire that you give yourself the permission to just see what you see and be curious and, and look into that. And so would there be some of your work is sort of traditional photography, other work is sort of abstract using ICM or multiple exposures from what I can gather for just from mm -hmm. looking at it. Um, when would you decide to go one way or another like traditional this is a traditional sort of still photograph or this is a multiple is there is that just on a feeling or how would you decide that I think again it depends on what it is about the landscape that's caught me so um my piece in the RA for example is a classic landscape piece you know like I say a more traditional landscape photograph and that is I would never choose to do that particular um that particular scene in a different way because um, there's something about the honesty and the integrity of certain elements or parts of the landscape that I feel just need to be represented how they are. Um, but if I choose um, to do a multiple exposure, so for example, I have some multiple exposures from sunsets on the coast and I'm not a big sunset photographer I don't have a lot of um you know kind of bold sunset colors but there is still something so wonderful about the light at sunset and those tones that you get and I think particularly at the coast you've got those warm oranges fading up to the blues especially after the sun has you know just dropped behind the horizon and so for me, it, with a scene like that, I'm looking to try and convey the tones and the colours more than the straight horizon, you know, and, 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 you know, the sand to the sea to the sky kind of thing. So I'm, I'm using something like multiple exposure or ICM to represent the mood that's created by the tone and the light more than the, the, the landscape, if that makes sense.
Okay, maybe we can talk about sort of abstract photography for a bit then. Um, so was it during the lockdowns that you sort of discovered abstract photography? When did that sort of come on your radar sort of officially? Um, yeah, so it was in the lockdowns. I'm trying to think when exactly. Um, I think, uh, so I think it was around towards the end of 2020. Um, so I first came across Valda Bailey's work. Um, as a, uh, she's a multiple exposure photographer. Um, and that was how I, I think that was what piqued my interest in multiple exposure. But I had no desire to go and recreate what Valda had done. Um, but I wanted to understand more about the technique and learn about the technique. And I think, I think, you know, with photography, it, it's easy to, to think of it as one, um, you know, classic photography, you know, classic landscapes, um, and, and not think of the possibilities of what you can do with a camera. Um, and obviously that depends a little bit on your camera and what type of camera you've got, but, um, it, it made me realize that actually there were a lot more opportunities for creative expression. And that's why I started to explore um, multiple exposures with, um, with ICM as well. Um, and I, and I still feel like I'm in my infancy with that journey. I think I've discovered a way of using that technique that does help me portray what I see Um but I, I also feel that I've yet, you know, I don't, I certainly don't feel like I've peaked with how I'm going to use that technique in photography. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I spoke to Valda a couple of years ago, a few years ago, actually, um, because it, I think it was 2018, I was going to start a podcast and then I didn't see it through. And then I reused the recording that we had in 2020 when I started this podcast. Um and I, I don't shoot that way at all. I don't necessarily, I mean, I know, I, I know what she's doing. Like, I know she's doing multiple exposures and stuff. I don't exactly know how she's putting it all together, but I just really admire it. It's not something I, I don't think I would have the patience or anything to do. So although I don't really understand it, I, I was trying to think of how to say this er earlier before we came on um, without sounding like completely like stupid or offensive but I, I was like I think it's like opera you know I I know that something amazing is happening even though I don't under, really understand everything that's going on mm -hmm. you can still appreciate that something epic is in front of you and I think I feel that way about Valda's work really. Yeah so I was just gonna say I, I think you know she has a she has a great vision for it and I think she uses a, a you know, I believe she uses a mix of, um, you know, camera and and software to, to compile her work. And then she also does some fantastic, um, you know, things. She she will embellish her prints with um, with mixed media as well. So, um, you know, she's she's really uh, she's got a great creative mindset, um, mm -hmm. you know, for using that technique. Um I don't see myself perhaps going as abstract as some of Valda's work. I still, certainly at the moment, I still want my multiple exposures to be identifiable as landscapes. Um, 
and and even I would go so far as to say to be able to identify that it's a tree or it's a big vista or you know it's a coastal um so I don't see myself going quite as abstract as that but certainly um certainly on a journey with it I think like for me with photographers like you Valda it's the permission you know it's like it's saying okay landscape photography or whatever kind of photography you're into it doesn't have to be this you know Mm -hmm. yeah it doesn't have to be what she's doing what you're doing it doesn't have to be anything like you can do what you want to do and it's okay um I think that's the biggest takeaway that's applicable for me and rather than saying okay now I have to put gold leaf on my prints and whatever yeah so that permission I think is so freeing for people you seem to just have it so I don't know um did you was there ever a time where you were shooting according to the rules or did it come easily to you to just say okay I can just do what I want to do here yeah I think um I think it did come quite easily to me um certainly when I first picked my camera back up in the beginning of 2020 um initially I thought to myself um like a lot of people you think right so I uh, you know I want I got myself some filters and I wanted to really play with filters and long exposures and um and so I I was going out and shooting um with you know sort of techniques which we see more commonly shall we say um and that's really important part of your learning curve and um you know i, I went down I, I live on in the south and um on you know southeast of england and i went down to new haven where they where you've got the lighthouse and sort of work with some long exposures there to smooth out the sea um and eventually i sort of i sort of realized that that i enjoyed the process i really enjoyed doing it but looking at the final result i was pleased with the technical expertise that i'd gained and applied but i didn't really look at the photograph and think oh that that really speaks to me that's something that um that represents what i'm about um and then I, I did a work, I did a creative development workshop, um, an online creative development workshop with Rachel Talabart. Uh, and I think what the workshop gave me, uh, I really lacked confidence, actually. I really lacked confidence. I, I'd already started to play with multiple exposures a little bit. Um, and I'd already started to photograph um, the landscape in a way that didn't follow the classic rules. Um, but I felt very unsure um, about, around how it would be received. And I think we all do, don't we, as photographers, we all worry um, about how our work will be received. Um, and what those workshops gave me was confidence to uh, and permission to stay true to my creative mindset. And so I, I just carried on on that path that, you know, I would go out with my camera. It's, it's a bizarre feeling when I, when I'm taking multiple exposures because they're all done in camera. I don't stack them in Photoshop or anything. So they're all in camera multiple exposures. So I have to do the sort of mental gymnastics first. 
thinking, what settings am I going to use? How many exposures do I need to use to get the, the scene how I want it? Um, and when I hold the camera and I'm photographing in that way, it's like it just becomes an extension of my hand. It's not on the tripod most of the time. Um, sometimes it, it might be on the tripod, but most of the time it's not. And it, it's almost like I'm just, you know, <laughs> wafting around a paintbrush in the landscape. It's really, it's a really freeing experience to stand in there with it on a tripod, looking for the foreground interest, the midground, looking at your two thirds, you know, and, and, and the classic composition rules and things. It's such a freeing experience to, to work in a more creative way with a camera. When, when you're working in that way then, like, do you have to pre-visualize or, or is this something that get you get better with the more that you do it about saying, okay, well, this is what I'm seeing, but this is what I could create with seven exposure. I don't know. Like, how does, mm. how do you get from the point of going, oh, wait a second to being sort of finished, you know, and how long can that take? So um, I was saying in the early days, it was a lot of experimentation to really understand what the output is of using multiple exposure in camera and the various settings that you apply to it. Um, but once you understand that, once you know what the camera is going to produce, um, then you can look at the scene and think, right, I want these settings um, in order to layer and create the scene as I want it. Um, there's a photograph which is one of my favourites, which is was taken up on Dartmoor um down in devon and it was a just a big open landscape but what caught me was these lovely soft curves of the um of the moors you know the way the hills just kind of rolled into each other and that was what i really wanted to emphasize so i used a couple of exposures um and just layered them um and and and, and there was some sort of forest in the foreground um, which also helped to um, balance the photograph with with the with the sky at the top and sort of negative space um, and then these rolling hills in the middle so I, I knew looking at that landscape what it was that I wanted to try and create with the multiple exposure but that took a lot of time and a lot of playing and a lot of experimenting to know what I needed to do in order to create that effect um, so in the early days, you, you, you know, you, you really are playing about and experimenting and learning. Um, and the outputs, it, what's wonderful about it is the outputs are really surprising and they can be really exciting. You know, you get, mm -hmm. get home and you, you know, you kind of look at it on the back of the camera and you think, oh, yeah, I think I quite like that. And then you get it home and you, you, you know, you sort of download it onto your computer and pull it up in Lightroom. And, and that's when you get really excited about you know, what the possibilities are and what you can do. Mm -hmm. So um, I think some people, I think touched on this earlier, would struggle with the sort of freedom, the unrestrictedness of this kind of photography. If somebody is there, they're curious, they shoot in a sort of ABC kind of joining the dots way. I'm just talking about myself, but I'm sure there are other people. Mm -hmm. Um and I like that. I mean, it gets my job done. I mean, there's there's definitely room for creativity in what I do. I just don't like to do it in the moment. Mm -hmm. um, usually, I wouldn't 
rely on myself to be creative in the moment. So if I'm going to be creative, I try to do it in, in the front end and then go and join the dots. I'm a commercial photographer. I have to get the job done. Sure. Um, once I get what I've got in mind in the bag, then I would kind of loosen up a bit and be more inclined to try things. Anyway, to come back to my question, I think, yeah, a, a lot of people would struggle with the idea of just being um, so open in the moment. What advice, or if any, could you give someone to help someone to embrace or know how to work with less restrictions? Does that make sense? And could you say anything about that? Yeah, so... Um... I think it is that thing about what catches your eye. Um, if you go into the landscape with preconceived rules about how to make a photograph, um, then you're almost forcing yourself to look at the landscape in a certain way. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you go out with, throw the rules away, um, and just see what you can see. And I would, I would say, you know, maybe stay off of social media for a while because it's also dangerous for us, I think, sometimes we see something and we don't necessarily want to copy it, but our heads become quite ingrained with what we constantly see on social media. So that, I think, can become a very subcon subconscious influencer um, and we get stereotypical things that we have to do, don't we? Like in springtime, we need to go and photograph the bluebells in the woodland, and in autumn, we have to go and get the woods in autumn, the colour. And um, But actually, just go out, and every step that you take, just look to the side, look in, look in front, look to the ground, look to the sky. Um, don't necessarily look too far ahead and just see what catches your eye and if something catches your eye just stop and work out why it's caught your eye and then think about how you might be able to turn that into a composition but remembering that composition doesn't necessarily have to mean that you've got to have a rock in the foreground and a stream in the middle leading up to a mountain peak <laughs> Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, I love that kind of landscape photography. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely do love it. And I watch, you know, some of the really well-known YouTubers doing that for a living. Um, mm -hmm. And I get a lot of enjoyment from that, um, from what they do and what they create. Um, but it's not what I'm trying to, it's not my way of approaching it. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. I only laughed because you described many of my own landscape photographs there. <laughs> Let's move on to the gear round. That has been awesome, by the way. I've so enjoyed uh, talking with you there. Thank you. Um, okay, let's go into the gear round. Um, camera and lens, where are you at? What's a, a go-to camera lens? I noticed you're not shooting wide-angle lenses. It doesn't seem like that. For, for no. So what are you shooting with? So I have a Canon 5D Mark IV, um, which has the capability to do up to nine exposures in camera. Um, and... I have a um, 70, sorry, 24 to 70 f4 lens, and I have a 70 to 200 f2.8, and I have a two times extender that will take that to 400 millimeters. Um, so most of the time, I would say 75% of the time, I've got my 70 to 200 on, um, but I do use my 24 to 70 and and it might sound strange but i'm currently looking at the 16 to 35 f 
um, because I want to start playing a bit more with wider angle, multiple exposures in the landscape. With the zoomy lens then, what kind of advantage does that give you? How does that help you to see things? I think often the landscapes that I shoot, because most of my work, I would say 95% of my work is local. Um, and a lot of it is in the common lands that are around where I live. And you're quite restricted with your access onto it um, because off the footpaths, they're quite boggy. Um, you know, you literally could just sink if you're not careful <laughs> after the rains. Um, so as much as anything, it's about reach. Um, but also um, having the f2.8 just gives you more flexibility, you know, for how soft or sharp you want the image um, and working, you know, creating some bokeh and, and those kind of things. Um, it's a great lens. I really love it. It's heavy. It's, it's not the best if you're going hiking uphill. Um, but um, but I don't, I, yeah, I think I do want to work with a wider lens because I, I don't know what I'm missing at the moment. Does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. I have, yeah. I've not really done it that much. So, yeah, it's it's a different ball game. I, I find. I mean, it's it's just a totally different way of seeing. Um, so yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I was going to ask about filters. Are you using ND filters then, or, or you don't do that so much now? Yeah, I have. I have. Um, I have Lee filters. Um, I have my little stopper, which unfortunately my cat decided to kick off the side the other day which smashed <laughs> so, so i need to replace that one um but yeah i've got a, i've got a few leaf filters and a polarizer i use my polarizer uh you know a, a fair amount shall we say when, when the conditions are wet um and um I, the trouble is i don't like especially with the multiple exposures um I, you know i've got to confess i'm a bit I, I get a bit irritated with gear i get a bit irritated faffing around with with you know too much stuff um mm -hmm. I, I not because um not because i'm lazy but because you know i just see something and i get excited and i just i just want to be free and, and start playing um but um but the filters are really beneficial at times you know obviously when you're doing your your icm uh you know and, you, and you're going to have a slightly longer um shutter speed um so yeah i do i do use my filters for sure Mm -hmm. And then processing or just Lightroom, that kind of normal stuff? Yeah, the vast majority, again, 90% of it's just in Lightroom. Occasionally I'll pull something into Photoshop only because I I, I quite like the um, uh, the healing brush in Photoshop more than the mm -hmm. one in Lightroom. Um, mm -hmm. And and occasionally I'll, I'll tweak a bit more with the, um, with the camera raw tool in Lightroom I don't know why I think it's probably the same one as sorry in Photoshop the one in Photoshop I think it's probably the same as the one in Lightroom but I just prefer the way the way the tools work um in mm -hmm. Photoshop but most of the time I don't I don't actually spend a lot of time processing any of the photographs even though some of them look like they've been processed a lot because I might have like really pulled down the shadows or the blacks to allow the like for example to allow blossom to pop you know, if it's blossom that's caught my eye, I'm not interested in the fir trees in the background. So I want to kind of, you know, obscure those as much as possible. Okay, thanks for that. All right, moving on. This round is called Double Exposure. And I will ask you about one photograph of yours and then I'll throw it back to you to tell me about 
another one if that makes sense sure you mentioned it i was just, i've got a few of your pictures looked out here uh, it's always really tricky to decide which one to go with but you mentioned it i think just now so the one i've chosen it's called well it's on your instagram from the 26th of march and the caption says bright blossom tree against backdrop of dark pines um do, do you know what i'm talking about yeah it's quite it a, looks it's a like heavy turquoisey ex- blues oh okay yeah i'm colorblind but I'll yeah. go with oh, okay uh, <laughs> um, so it's like an explosion and i love this kind of image i i really like it um and uh, yeah you said before as well you don't have like a style you know um like you're not repeating one technique over and over again um but this is de- image is definitely in your style and I'll, I'll let you maybe describe it and tell us if there's a story behind that one. Yeah, sure. So, um, again, sort of really local spot, the bottom of a field um, that I pass on the school run. And um, early morning, fog hanging around. Um, and and there's, a, there's a collection of um, shrubs and bushes in that area that, that are all in blossom in spring. And there's a some some of it was white blossom some of it was sort of pinker in color um and they the they sit in front of some very dark green foliage um so they're not backdropped against the sky um or you know there isn't there isn't a lot of distance they're quite close to the, to what's in the background so the blossom really stands out you know it really does strike you as this sort of delicate floating snow almost um and so that was a very intentional use of multiple exposure on that image I, I picked out one of the um one of the little trees there and um used I think three exposures on that one um and I needed to make sure that my my histogram was slightly more um slightly more to the left so that I wasn't going to pick up too much of the highlights in the background um but obviously with the blossom being white those that that was retained and then I just emphasized that a bit more with my processing in in Lightroom but yeah I love that image actually I've had quite quite a lot of people have um sent me comments about that one on Instagram yeah, I was wondering about the multiple exposure technique on a, a scene like that. If it's a good way to just knock out any other, you know, unsightly bits of the image that you don't really want to see, you know, because mm. you just sort of ab- abstract maybe any scrubby bits on the ground or whatever. But um, the the overall effect is amazing. So I'm seeing like a, a Valda Bailey influence on that. Would you agree with that or? Uh, yeah, possibly. I, th- I know she did something with blossom trees, didn't she, early on? Um, like like proper big big blossom trees, if you know what I mean, um, as in apple blossom, cherry blossom. Um, so, yeah, pro- yeah, there probably is some influence from Valda's work in that. Um, but um, I think I've processed it quite differently. Um, she may have something similar, actually, that I've, I've not seen, but I certainly... I certainly wasn't picturing um, anything that I'd noticed noticed when I was doing that one. Okay, you don't do that. I think I'm 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 sensing that more than referencing a particular image. So, mm. um, and anything, if I could throw this back to you, 
obviously the the picture that's in the exhibition is is always going to be special but is there an image or a moment from your uh, photography journey that's just super memorable or has a great story to go with it there yeah there's one which is i call it gilded um so on the face of it it looks it's very gold in color um and there's uh, and it's and it's actually fog that's been illuminated by um quite high winter sun um and the rays of light are are coating these um naked silver birch trees that are covered in water droplets and it was just such it was just such a moment and what i love about this photograph is um it was unexpected it was very unplanned i was actually walking walking and not looking in that direction and i heard something and i glanced to the left and i spotted the light again it was that thing about just seeing and i spotted the light striking these silver birch trees but it was all they were shrouded in this um mist as the um as the sun was starting to warm up the the, the ground beneath the trees um and so I, you know i stopped and i and i looked and and I, and I took that photograph and what i love about it is it's it's actually quite a classic if there's no multiple exposure there's no um there's, there's no over processing it's 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 pretty much you know as it was uh mm-hmm. in the moment so that's that's a that is a real fa- i've got it printed on my wall downstairs and and it's yeah. really lovely printed you can really pick out the details it's so amazing it's so effective it really looks like gold do you know what i mean um mm. and so processing wise it just come in the camera like that and that was the color yeah i think uh i actually had to cool it down slightly with the white balance it was a bit too warm um and that, i think that was my own fault as in i hadn't altered my white balance settings and it would they were set slightly warmer than they should have been um but yeah not there was very little processing you know there's no vignette on it there, there's no graduated filters um i think i looking at it i've probably added a tiny bit of clarity and contrast just to pick up mm-hmm. that light you know that that sense of the light radiating in from the top left of the image mm-hmm. but yeah minimal processing on it yeah that makes sense so i i don't know if you're selling prints but i i mean I can see a lot of your work lending itself really well to that. Is that something you have plans for? I do. Um, and uh, I've had, you know, I've been, um, I've been blessed actually with a lot of people have contacted me asking me uh, if they can buy certain prints. Um, and I'm just in the process at the moment. So my website, I, again, I get, I'm not very, I'm not very techy and I don't enjoy building websites and things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've, um, I have, I have now got a website, um, and I have, uh, it's not live, but I have a shop in progress. Um, I'm just finalizing a few things. I've got my own printer. I've got my own sort of, um, Canon pro 1000 printer at home and I can print up to, um, a two. Um, but I'm thinking of going out to a professional, uh, you know, print, uh, printers to, to fulfill the orders. Um, and I'm just kind of finalising how I do that at the moment because obviously it impacts things like whether or not they're signed and additioned by hand or they have a certificate of authentication and 
the shipping and the, you know, the sort of little personal details, which are really important to me. Um, mm -hmm. And that's all come from my experience with the RA, you know, what I've learned there. So, <clears throat> so yeah, so um, prints will definitely be available. I am dragging my feet a little bit on it, but also I'm working with my mentor on it. So I don't want to rush it. I want to get it right. Yeah. I think that's the thing, isn't it? Because you, you do you want it. You don't want to have to go and, um, go back to the drawing board if you just don't hit it right at the first time. Sure. I was talking to Jonathan Critchley not long ago. Yeah, I listened. I, I would. I mean, he sells big fine art prints. I, yeah. I don't know if you're thinking big or small or whatever, but I know the way he does it. It seems to um, create a higher value to the to the piece, which is always you know yeah. always good. But I, there's different ways to do it. I mean, it's so difficult. So. And I think my uh, the work in the RA, you know, it's sold for a price that I'm really pleased with. Um, and it's a big, you know, it's a 36 by 24 inch print and framed. It's 1.1 meters wide. So it's not small. Um, mm -hmm. And that, um, yeah, that's that's definitely one of the reasons I'm, I'm looking to go out to a, to a, a you know, professional printers is to give me that flexibility with size as well. Mm hmm. Yeah, well, we'll look forward to that. I, I wish you the best with that journey because it is tricky. But um, okay, this um, I've so enjoyed this. This brings us to motor drive. It's the final round, and okay. I got feedback from a listener the other day who said they love the motor drive round. So um, <laughs> <laughs> okay, so some quick questions. Okay. Yeah. Wide angle or telephoto? Telephoto at the moment. Yeah. Um, expensive lens cloth or the corner of your shirt? uh corner of my shirt but often not accessible because it's usually freezing cold and i've got loads of layers on <laughs> yeah so corner of your jacket um expensive no i just did that one <laughs> what's your favorite emoji oh um there's just like a blushing smiley face that i use sometimes when i'm thanking somebody for a, a kind comment on a photograph Okay, I don't know if we really said on the episode where you're based, but best thing to do in your town, in your area? Oh, in my area? Um, well, I live right between the North and South Downs. So, yeah, exploring the Downs, they're just beautiful. You know, nobody nobody comes and photographs in the southeast of England, which is great, you know, unless you live here. Um, but it there is an abundance of opportunities here. Um, you know, everybody goes to the Lake District and Scotland and Cornwall and Devon and things, you know, where, where, where we've all seen the classic photographs. Um, but yeah, um, explore the downs. They are stunning. Mm -hmm. So what's a down? Is it like a moor or what? Yeah, it's it? like a big, uh, like an area of outstanding national beauty. Lots of, um, in fact, Surrey, the county that I live in, is the most wooded county in the country. There is more woodland in Surrey than anywhere else in the country. Um, okay. And because it's all protected land, there's huge areas that have no um, no construction, no housing. Mm -hmm. That's great. So it's mainly sort of woodland rather than open. Yeah, very little farmland. Um, there, are, there are there is open open land, but it's there's not that much farmland. Mm. So it's quite in, like you're not far from London and I was just saying we were down in London the other day when you come back to Aberdeen you're like oh there's spaces between the buildings <laughs> um like everything is is just jammed in there and connected and there's just no gaps you know so 
how far down like how far out of London do you need to go before you see some space I would say if you get the other side of the M25 then it starts to open out um so if you if you if you look at a map and look at the M25 um, there is space inside the M25. You know, the closer you get to it, the more open it begins begins to come. But if you can get down to sort of Woking and beyond, um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Guildford, you've got the North Downs um, sort of up uh, up north of Guildford, and then the South Downs are south south of Guildford. So, if you want to get into that area, then yeah, and go see go see the common lands, Thursley Common, Hankley Common. Although Hankley Common sadly just had a big wildfire um, two weeks ago. Um, and um yeah the commons are beautiful very different okay. landscape as well i think for the uk okay um what's a weird thing i could find in your camera bag <laughs> i think it's probably i still think of it as weird a face mask <laughs> um it was just one of those things that i thought oh i better always have one for emergencies and they seem almost a distant memory now but it is a weird thing to have in a camera bag, I think. It's always going to be yeah. weird to think that you have to carry a face mask. Yeah, I meant to follow up earlier, actually. Like, how are you now for mingling and mixing? Yeah, I'm fine. So I wasn't like one of the, uh, I was like one of the mid-level, if you like, kind of vulnerable. I have treatment regularly for my, it's an autoimmune condition. Um, so it just, just means that my immune system's a bit compromised at, at times. Um, but yeah, I'm fine. I, you know, I, I've sort of... Um, went back to work fully integrated i've even had covid now like most people and then i was absolutely fine with it i mean thankfully i'd had all the vaccines so um yeah no worries okay um name a photographer we should know i don't know if that's your favorite in your field out of your field just a great photographer people should know about oh um so i'm gonna go maybe a little bit off piece but um vivian meyer uh she's a she was a photographer in the 1930s. She photographed a lot of street photography, uh, a lot of um, street portrait tra- portraiture photography um, in America, Chicago, New York. And I discovered her work. I can't even remember how I discovered her work. I think it was in a book. I was in um, the Photographer's Gallery in London. They've got a great bookshop. And, um, yeah, there's just something about it. The, the She has a, had a real way of, capturing people's character um really lovely work actually i would say um i think i believe there's an instagram account um so yeah worth looking up okay i looked that up is that something you would be curious to explore or are you happy to stay with the landscape uh that's a really good question because um i increasingly find myself looking more towards that type of photography um i i love photographs that that have a really strong sense of story about them and whenever you've got people in photographs you know in in a very natural setting there's a huge amount of storytelling going on there um so i'm not going to say never um but I think, as a, and I think that's why I was saying earlier, I'm not going to be tied to a plan because my photography, I feel, can only be authentic if it's led by where I'm at at that point in time. And at this point in time, it's about seeing silence, about getting space from mm-hmm. all the noise that's in my head. 
and that's not necessarily bad noise it's just noise it's just there um but one day that might be something i might explore mm -hmm. so i just love your uh, mindset around your work it's it's so i think it's very um constructive very helpful for you to to have the kind of um freedom that you have around it but Thank also you. not just going down a rabbit hole because you you know you know maybe i want to shoot people now so yeah i like that um I was going to say as well, your slogan on your website is the best. See, Sand Skyland is the best. Um, did you come up with that yourself? Yeah, I just, <laughs> I, I was just sitting there thinking, you know, when you, I, I mean, in my Instagram account, I only created it. When did I create it? That was in lockdown as well, 2020, I think. And um, I was, you know, you have to fill in your profile, your bio and whatever. And I never write much. You know, I'm not, I'm not big on writing big spiels about myself on those things. So, I just wanted something simple and succinct and um, I don't identify as a, you know, a seascape photographer or woodland photographer. I think for me, again, that would, I'd find that would stifle my creativity because I'd constantly be seeing things that I want to photograph and I'd feel like I wasn't allowed to because I'm, because I've, you know, identified with a certain um, part of the landscape. That's, and that's not, you know, a criticism of anybody who does do that because of the people that do do that do it for a reason because that's obviously what they connect with but that's just not me so I just thought well what do I photograph and I photograph the sea the sand the land and the sky <laughs> and that was it really yeah cool last one when do you feel at peace with the universe oh I had a moment actually the other night I couldn't sleep very well and I went um I went downstairs and and it was in very warm still night and i sat out in the garden um it was about 1am the stars were really bright and um i want to say uh, i think it was perhaps a meteor that passed by um or, or something it, it, it wasn't a shooting star it was too big it was moving too slow and there was a big yellow trail behind it um so i don't think it was a shooting star um, but whenever I am in a, that very still, quiet landscape in the dark, looking up at the stars, and maybe it's because you've used the word universe, but that is when I feel, a, you know, that's probably the only other time I feel a great stillness and a connection with this and, and awe, complete awe that we are this little planet, really, amongst this huge, amazing universe. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Wendy. Um, this has just been a super blast for me. Just keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great and I'll, I'll enjoy to see how things develop for you. Thanks so much. Thank you very much, Graham. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. Thanks for listening. Follow Wendy on Instagram and check out her website to see more of her fantastic photography. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. If you enjoyed this episode, check out my conversations with Valda Bailey, Paul Sanders, Karen Waller, Shona Perkins, Stephanie Johnson and Dylan Nardini. Many more photographers of the same kind of mindset. Hope I can see you at Viewfinders Live with Paul Sanders on the 13th of October. That's all for now. Enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.